so yeah, how's it going? It's good. It's great. I have my uh, my big hug mug, which I guess I don't. I feel like you know maybe six months ago I would have been embarrassed about how happy this makes me, but I'm embracing it. It makes me feel like I'm getting a hug in the morning. That's great. What do you? What's your morning beverage? Um, coffee. Honestly, I never ever get up this early. Which also maybe is embarrassing, but <laughs> I, so normally I have my coffee at 11 a.m., but I'm taking it early today. If you were uh, part of the commune, we would integrate your sleep cycle and schedule into, um, you know, our lives and our systems so that we wouldn't uh, marginalize you um, with that. Uh, I mean, That's there's so, so many, sleep is such a, uh, sleep is so driven by industrial capitalism too. Um, the, do you remember biphasic? Have you ever read about biphasic sleep? That like hundreds of years ago, when people slept, they would wake up yes. in the middle of the night and then they would go back to sleep. I have. Yeah. It was only done be recent experimentation on that too. Right, right, and 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 it's like cool. It's a good thing, and it was only the mechanization of time, the mechanization of labor, the industrial revolution, the the sort of drive for people to have these productive cycles that had nothing to do with their lives, but only had to do with these other lives. So, uh, I, all of which is totally. to say, we're very we're very sympathetic to to uh, different times that people, you know, sleep and, and wake up and whether that's driven by jobs or just you. I appreciate that. That's That's been a thing I've had to kind of get over some insecurity about. I feel like it's been so ingrained in me to feel like, and I also need a lot of sleep. Like I think just as a person, I'm like a nine, 10 hour a night person. And, you know, I've just been, it's been ingrained in me that I'm just like lazy or I just like, I'm not trying hard enough, um, but that's been a cool thing about being able to set my own schedule is I can start to actually like embrace that and work in a way that works for my body instead mm -hmm. of just being like, honestly, really exhausted all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's and, and it is hard uh, because of, of all the ways that people just expect that that's when you get up and and then that this sort of fetishization of productivity and and all of that stuff. Um, but uh, uh, it's it's good to have you on. This is Hannah Ruth, everybody. And we're yeah, back on the you. Solidarity House live stream. And you can support us at patreon.com slash Solidarity House. And, uh, go, go, and go, 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 go. We want to thank and welcome all of our new Patreon subscribers uh, for uh, the going into the month of June. It's been a really inspiring month. Um, and uh, we want to thank you, Hannah, for being on the show and for supporting us as well. Yes. And uh, I'm happy to be newly on your on your Patreon and check out all the cool stuff you guys are doing. It's inspiring. Yeah. And, and flip side, I also personally am a supporter of, of um, Hannah's uh, Patreon. And what is that? Do you uh, my Patreon is Hannah Ruth Music. Ruth, like tooth, but with an R. Two O's in the Hannah Ruth. And so now Hannah Ruth with two O's is going to play us uh, and sing us uh, some songs. And we're very excited about it. Yay, thank you. Yeah, um, once again, I'm so honored to be the first musician on this podcast. And it's just been super cool to get to know Matt. Such a great mind and really excited for our conversation later. Um, and I'm also excited, this first song that I'm going to play for you guys, Matt requested, and it is my first released single. It's called Divorce in the Water, and um, I will let it do the rest of the talking. Breathe 
wandering further on our way. You were the driver. I was there for you. But you had to get away. I would never make you stay. I kissed your face. was friggin outstanding <laughs> tell us so much. i because we're gonna have plenty of time to talk about music but tell us real briefly what the the story is of that of that song that that is my favorite of your songs oh that's lovely it's my boyfriend's favorite too actually um so that song i wrote it um back in 2018, right after um, my ex-wife had <clears throat> divorced me. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, I guess it's really a song that's about that kind of the tension between um, what I needed and what she needed and learning learning how to like release her and let go of her mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. stay true to the love that i had for her um even if certain things she did hurt me um that's not hard at all <laughs> to to just do it all to 
to acknowledge the to let go but to keep loving right <laughs> it's very hard and i i mean i think that song's powerful because it does it's not like and i don't tend to sit down and write songs like oh i want to write this it's just a very emotive like it's a way i express my emotions purely so i think you know a lot of like like anger and and bitterness and also like sentimentality and affection like i feel like all those things come out in that song and yeah well it's beautiful um did you want to could you do one more before we before we dive into all the the deep uh and serious stuff i would love to <laughs> before we dive that's good i see what you did there matt okay yes i would love to um this next song i'm gonna do is a newer song um it's called Strong and Tender, and this one's more in line with kind of my journey of um, beginning to identify and see myself as more like non-monogamous and, and polyamorous and accept that part of myself. So that's part of what this song's Awesome. Hannah Ruth. Say I'm less strong 
Because I am more tender I'm the wood, the water bleeds And I float in a hurricane And this song I belong Where sometimes the light don't enter I'm like a king that catches rain. I can hold the Wonderful, <laughs> Hannah Ruth, uh, um, and let's do let's sort of get the preliminaries out of the way. Um, you uh, are uh, actually an artist fundraising pick on Spotify, uh, and I think that's a that that's a periodic thing that they do. Um, uh, I wanted to also say that my favorite song of yours, "Divorce in the Water," has almost ten thousand listens. Uh, on Spotify is is vastly in first place uh, among uh, many other uh, uh, much listened to of your music, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and let's see what else you you play the guitar uh, when you um, a lot of times when you perform are there other instruments that you play or are picking up? Yeah, so um, I played the ukulele for several years that's when i um really started introducing my music to the world on um i've never been i've never been as passionate or good at instrumentation as singing so i'm i switched to ukulele <clears throat> excuse me really just because it's a very easy instrument <laughs> compared to the guitar but I am leveling up and taking some lessons and switching back over to the guitar so yeah well they're both great songwriting instruments and and um, I know a good good number of of um, songwriter vocalists who prefer the uke so that's great um and how many albums do you have out now? And I know that Spotify is one platform to get them, but Spotify is also kind of corporate. Um, and yes. so uh, people can also go to Wild Hum and other places to get them. But to, uh, tell us, what's your, what does your discography look like right now? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, so my first album is called Wild Hum. Um, that's the one with Divorce in the Water in it. And since then, um, I've really released songs as singles um i think it's 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 a good way to you know kind of draw attention to each song and it's good for the spotify algorithm too so that's part of that um but yeah i've released um three more uh singles under wild hum and those are part of like a strong and tender collection is what i call it uh, the fourth one is actually, you're the first to hear this. Uh, the fourth one is going to be released on June 25th. And it's you heard called it here Dust. first. I'm yes. sorry, Dust? Dust, yeah. Nice, I, nice. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm really excited about that one. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then I have um, more like kind of commercially pop sounding stuff um, under Hannah Ruth rather than Wild Hum. I have about. I think five songs released there. Um, one of them I'll play for you later. Give me that gold. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what I got right, going Great. on right now. That's wonderful. So what, how did you get here? How did you land? Uh, and now you're, and now you're on a show talking about your singing. So how, how did you get from there to here? Yeah. How did I, okay. So I, well, I started writing songs when I was really young, like six or seven, probably, um, you know, probably around the time I learned to like put sentences together and stuff like that. Um, and that was up in the Pacific Northwest, Northwest Washington. I was raised in like a very, um, conservative, like evangelical fundamentalist family, um, with some different emotional problems going on. Mm -hmm. And for me, yeah, music was like 
the way that I expressed my deepest emotions and I really just did it for myself at that point in my life I felt like you know you shouldn't you shouldn't burden other people with your pain and your feelings and like who you are <laughs> it was kind of how I felt growing up um so I moved to uh Houston Texas and um met my my now ex-wife there doing a a volunteer program together and I started playing I, I played music with people then uh in little bands and like we did some of our friends weddings um but I wasn't really to the point where I was like really taking my expression like seriously and thinking like this is something I really want to get out into the world and show people um and then fast forward about five years later um when I was going through my divorce was really when I like picked up music really strongly again just kind of I was in a really dark time and reconnected to music as sort of that like first safe space and the way to really express myself and like feel my sense of like power in my life and in the world um so I started writing and and playing a lot more then and my boyfriend actually encouraged me to we would go to open mics and I remember one day him just being like so what are you gonna do about it like what are you gonna do with this and I was just like I feel like that was the moment when I was like yeah you're right like this is this is like me this is my thing I need to like take it more I need to take myself more seriously <laughs> sometimes think. it takes someone else though you know raising that flag and and uh and that gives you the freedom to go okay well if somebody else is is twisting my arm a little bit then you know then then I can take this seriously even though you know sometimes we're self-conscious about actually going I want to be an artist I want to actually perform yeah, um so you know I want this to be what I do uh you know and it's like but but it's easier it's a little easier to do that when somebody else is going no you should you know you should do it yeah oh I needed that the like the validation I think of it like him like someone seeing and reflecting to me like this is clearly like who you are <laughs> was which I already you know I knew that so once he likes brought it up I I knew but I like I needed that validation from somebody else for sure so this is a so we're in a kind of brave new world for musicians and for all kinds of content producers uh and you have to I mean there was a you know there was sort of a way I mean I guess that self-promotion and um and engagement and publicity and all of those things have always been really important but there is definitely much more of a diy kind of culture about it Absolutely. right now um and it seems from my from me watching your your work and and your engagement that you you're kind of all over it it seems to take a lot of time and a lot of energy to do that and you're also kind of really pu pushing putting yourself out there and kind of um you know i mean it's a it's a real uh vulnerability uh, of that which i feel like you have fully embraced and and named and owned up to and and sort of said yeah that's you know that's precisely what i'm doing what's that been like kind of in this you know in this new sort of of decentralized world of of um musical self-promotion <laughs> uh yeah i can only start out laughing at that question because yeah, there's just so much there. There's so much under the surface there, especially, you know, how we started out talking about the insecurity that comes, I think, with at least, I think for most of us um, as artists with performing and like putting our most vulnerable expressions on the stage and not just to show people, but also, you know, if we're trying to do it professionally, like asking, like, is this valuable to you? You know, trying to like bring people into what we're doing. Um so yeah, the self-promotion thing is, uh, it's been, <clears throat> it's been a test, <laughs> I think really of a lot of like internal parts of myself and there's, there's so much that's, you know, like dirty in the whole like marketing 
mm-hmm. philosophy and the system of it and, you know, capitalist culture. Uh, but I've I've been trying to figure out how to do it in a way that I, you know, really believe in and can get behind. I've always been like, if I don't believe in something, I just, I can't, I can't get myself to do it. So I'm like, honestly, it's partly just, that's the only way for me to be consistent and successful. Something is if I'm really believing and a hundred percent behind what I'm doing. So I'm trying to, yeah, approach my presence online and stuff in a way where I'm showing parts of myself that I think can be a service to people who are reading it. Cause like, yeah, I mean, we're all, we're all human. We all have, I think, very similar struggles when we're really honest about our experience. And so I'm trying to be, um, like an example of putting that real stuff out there. Cause I think once we put it on the table, then we can like deal with it and then we can, we have power to, to decide how it affects our lives. Similarly to the political landscape, right? Like once we acknowledge what's going on, then we can move from there. But if we're not going to acknowledge the realities, then there's kind of, so I see that in a similar way to like our personal and emotional lives. Which is really part of the universe that it seems like you're painting. Um, And you're putting out, like there's a lot of work involved in all of the, in all of that process too, because um, you know, there's, you know, photography and visual, you know, the visual component of it. And then there's the different channels and you're, and you have different messaging and approaches for different platforms. Uh, Instagram, your Instagram presence has to be appropriate to Instagram and your Facebook presence has to be appropriate to Facebook and all of that. And you're also trying to sort of shine through all of those platforms and say, Hey, I'm a real person doing all of this. Um, And it seems like, uh, you you know that that you have um that you have traversed and maybe mastered what some people call the art of the ask which is this very kind of new agey you know political thing but amanda palmer you know wrote a book on it and you know she's you know i i don't know that my politics are the same as amanda palmer's in every way but um but i feel like if you're going to engage that 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 sort of world of 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 sort of um, self-sustaining, independent um, art uh, that you you have to reach out to people. It's almost like you're reaching out to people personally and being willing to to do that, which you do. You you contact your patrons. You uh, you know you you really are on top of that. Um, that just is a huge amount of energy. Mm-hmm. I have to say, like no wonder you feel like you need to sleep. I mean, uh, you know you're you really are doing a shitload of work. Thank you. That's so affirming. And I, it's so nice because, yeah, once again, the whole like capitalist mentality is that work means this very specific thing. It means, you know, creating, cap, creating profit, creating capital for somebody else, essentially. And so there is there is also like self-doubt there because I, I think you're right. I mean, I do I do a lot of work. I do a lot of like emotional and relational work. Um, but we are really taught that that's not work. So it can be sometimes easy to like get swept into that, like self doubt. And what am I really doing? And it's great to be like reminded, like it is, it's, and I know, you know, I know intellectually it's like valid and important and necessary and emotionally work, but there's also that influence of like, oh, it's not valuable or whatever, because there isn't like a dollar sign behind it all the time. Right. Or not immediately, or that's not immediately the point. Um, (laughs) Yes. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, and that the micro engagement that has to take place in the, in um, crowdfunding and crowd, you know, uh, crowdfunding type of platforms um, is important. You know, you've got to be able to say that the person that's giving you $3 a month um, is, is, 
I was going to say every bit is important, but more important in a lot of ways than the person that, you know, can give you 15 or $20 a month or a hundred dollars a month or whatever. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah. I know that that's really important to you too, to kind of, uh, treat everyone as, uh, intrinsically valuable, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's been, I've, I've really been working on growing the Patreon platform in the last few months and yeah I keep you know the first tier at three dollars because I really want it to be like accessible to people um and yeah that's that's like hugely important to me um and it's been a cool way of just it's kind of it's a signal right from people who support me that's the that's the important thing to me it's like I know you know something I'm doing is valuable to them to where they want to like be engaged with it and support it. And so it's helped me kind of prioritize relationships, honestly. And I'm like, I want to know who these people are. I want to know what they care about. Like I want to actually get to know people who are affected by my music. And well, because that's why I do it is for like the relationships, the connection, like to see, you know, what new can kind of be created in the world. Right. And also, I mean, from a business standpoint too, it's like, it's it's also good. I mean, because you don't know even even from, you know, a music business standpoint, like the person who's donating three dollars a month, you know, they might not have a lot of money, but they might be like and I have a patron like this, like sharing my music with all their friends and like that's right. incredibly valuable. Um so yeah, that's really important to me. That's great. Um, are you looking forward to uh, playing more, maybe more live shows now that hopefully knock on wood, um, you know, that things are, are slowly opening up and, and getting better. Are you, uh, is that something that you are uh, pumped about the, the possibility of doing? Yeah, I'm so excited. Live performance is like, is really what, it's really why I do this. Um, it's what I'm passionate about. And I'm actually, I've decided to start hosting house shows. We, we have a new place, right? right in the middle of downtown LA, which I'm so grateful for. It's like the perfect location for this. Um, I love, I know exactly, or not, not exactly. Sorry. I don't want to, you know, creep you out. Um, uh, I know, uh, I, I, I know the location and it's, it is one of my favorite locations in the world. Oh, well, you'll have to come. You could stay with us sometime if you can sure. visit. Absolutely. Uh, um, uh, it's, it is my old stomping ground. Yay. Yeah, so um, I'm having, I decided to call it, which I'm really excited about, it fits in a lot of ways, but I started an Instagram and it's called Oasis House Shows. Um, so I'm going to start, you know, just doing little, trying to bring the, the people I've met here together and showcase my music and their music and their art and just like have a space that's just about like existing and creating and supporting each other uh i, I was I, I can't help but speculate then that you will have to cover at least one oasis song um at some point or another uh i don't know who that is that's so embarrassing that's hilarious if you that's tell me great. the songs though i'll know <laughs> uh wonderwall uh it's, oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, well, I should do that. That's a great idea. Exactly. No, the, the, uh, the, well, the important thing is that they are, you know, I like, I, I'm not a fan, um, but uh, the, that they're these bad boys, uh, these, you know, England bad boys that were trying to be bigger than the Beatles, which, you know, of course, no one will ever be bigger than the Beatles. Um, and that, that it's brothers and they hate so each other. So they're this like douchey band called Oasis. They, <laughs> yeah, but they did have that one hit. Um, and, uh, and we're, we're pretty big. What is it about, um, you know, otherwise successful English bands, um, that have these people that love to hate? Because when I was, you know, when I was your age, um, the Smiths were, uh, you know, reinventing, uh, the sound of, of pop, uh, you know, pop and rock music. And, you know, it turned out that, uh, that Morrissey is just this giant fucking asshole, uh, so, you know, I guess we, I guess the, you know, the, the important thing is not just to make good music, but to be a good musician, which also means a good musician. 
human. Um, which I think brings us to this relationship to politics and the relationship between uh, music and particularly radical uh, politics. And it, it seems like my, from my very first, from, see, from kind of seeing your work for the very first time, um, it was obvious that you prioritized radical change. But that doesn't mean that all of your music is political and that and fact, it exists it in a not. yeah exactly but it exists for you in a space that includes the space of radical engagement with the world talk yeah. about that yeah thank you i'd love to um yeah so for me um like i said music is a very uh when I write, it's very, very instinctual and intuitive, and it's the way that I um, express and even, like, come to know my feelings about, like, my most intimate kind of situations. Usually it's about, like, lo like lovers or, or unrequited love or, like, family relationships that are difficult. Um and I think that I actually, okay, I want to read, I'm going to read a quote about this that I found from Angela Davis. Um, it says, progressive art can assist people to learn not only about the objective forces at work in the society in which they live, but also about the intensely social character of their interior lives. Ultimately, it can propel people towards social emancipation. So the reason that I think, you know, my emotional world is, is connected to the political and social landscape is that, you know, everything around me is influencing, is influencing my internal world. And the nature of like the relationships that I have and the struggles that I have in relationships are influenced by the political and social and economic landscape that we live in that shapes our relationships in so many ways. Like we started this podcast um, talking about how um, the working world influences people's sleep so much. And that's just like one example of how on a daily basis, the political an economic landscape of our lives is so influential of every every part of us down to like the sleep we're getting which which impacts our mental processes which impacts our emotional lives and our relationships with other people um there was an article that i read that was about how you know people who sleep more have better relationships and it just makes so much sense if you don't get enough sleep you know, you're snapping at people, you're irritated. So the forces that are impacting our political lives are like intrinsically so related to our emotional lives. Um, but, you know, that's that's not really why I'm like, that's not like the why of why I care about politics and, and write personal songs. Um, it's just, you know, I it's something I do and so I care about politics and so I really just want to use the vulnerable landscape of sharing music and emotions with people um which gets people you know it gets people in the heart it helps people get into a really human place and so I feel that if I can use that space to talk about political realities that people often have a lot of defenses to talking about for whatever reason it can help people think about the political landscape in a new way um, and be actually emotionally open to understanding things that they might not have been open to understanding. And I definitely haven't gotten, you know, to where I would like to be in that sort of crossover of sharing music and politics, but that's like really what I would like to do. Do you see yourself at any point in the future um, saying, you know what, I'm going to write a political album or I'm going to write some songs that are, you know, really explicitly and openly uh, uh, advocating uh, something? Yeah, so 
I do have one actually that's it's sort of I mean it's like a socialist pop anthem. It's very explicit. We need so many of those. Yeah. I know we really do. It's like it's a actually before this I was I googled like socialist musicians and there was this whole catalog and it's all like like metal and like rock and this like in these intense hard genres which are cool or or folk music or just you know right, someone playing yes. playing a guitar and you know um but yeah but it's but it is cool but what were you sorry what were you, what were you saying oh that's okay yeah which is cool but it's like it's not it's not even the music that i tend to listen to the most often and it's certainly not like pop popular pop right it's not like what the masses mm -hmm. of people are listening to so i think that's a really exciting I mean, I want to see more artists in that area. And I'm also like excited to be kind of getting in, getting into that, going in that direction. And also, you know, the more that I understand the connections between my personal life and the political landscape, the more I can like naturally create those songs because it is important to me in my process to write in a very organic way. I think it's like... Personally, I think it's the only way to write anything meaningful, anything great, I think, <laughs> has to be written very organically. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting as I learn more about my internal life and about politics and the political world. Those things start to intertwine naturally. It is a very small handful of artists that successfully do both uh, and one is my one of my favorite musicians, Billy Bragg, uh, who, um, you know, he will have an album and half of the half of the album will be very angry political, you know, songs and the other half will be these incredibly tender uh, and, and just heart wrenching um, love songs. Bob and, Dylan. Bob and Dylan. yeah, and, you know, Dylan, Dylan um, ha has done that and his, you know, I mean, much of his political stuff is 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 much more ephemeral and and metaphorical which uh i think but but i think also then blends him back or lets him fold back into equally metaphorical uh love songs um and, and but that but that that terrain of vulnerability that you talk about is the common space for both loving another person uh intimately or other people intimately um and also uh, you know as well as family love and parental love and all of these other types of love um uh and you know and is also the ground for radical political change which it begins with acknowledging our shared vulnerability it seems like to me yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Our shared vulnerability, but also Im importantly, our, our personal ability to exert power in the world, which we're in so many ways taught that we don't have the right to kind of just exist and exert power as the, the human being that we naturally are. And I think, I think the vulnerability and the power are very tied together because you have to be vulnerable to acknowledge what you need and what you're not getting in your life and in the world. Um, and then the other side of that is, it's like worthiness, I think. Um, I, I like Brene Brown's work around worthiness. And I think that is really tied to feeling that one has the right, that's even if it's not given to them socially or politically, but that one has the right to exert power and to work to create a life that um, suits their humanity. Uh, I, and we're going to, to listen to another track of yours in a moment, but before we do, uh, it seems like the, the big, a big cause that you feel very personally devoted to, uh, and that you talk about a lot, um, is, uh, the cause of prison abolition and abolishing the prison industrial complex and creating new, conceptions of security and new conceptions of, of restorative uh, justice. That's a big part. Uh, that's, that's big for you, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, um, I mean, there are a lot of reasons, I guess I didn't know which one to start with, but the way that the prison system works is just so abhorrent to me. Um, not only on like 
the scale of it, but just the way it works in the life of an individual. I mean, I do, I have fam, like immediate family members who have experienced the prison industrial complex and the way that it just cuts into just basic human self-esteem is profound and so painful to watch a loved one experience that. And so, yeah, when it comes to talking about um, feeling the personal power and the personal worthiness to create a world that suits one's humanity, like I think the prison industrial complex is so effective at stripping that and destroying that part of people that really feels a sense of their own worthiness and power. And so, um, it's, it's painful and it's really important to me to be a part of education and change around the prison industrial complex. It's really only for the last few years that more and a broader net network of, uh, of activists and people on the left have really embraced uh, the idea not only of prison reform, uh, which is inadequate, but really of abolition, which obviously doesn't mean that we just cast everyone into this pal of danger, uh, but instead is a restructuring of our, not only our values, but also our, you know, our practices in terms of, of, of both conceptualizing and responding to uh, situations of, of human instability or human uh, crisis. Um, and so it, it goes uh, hand in hand with defunding police and reinventing the, those those types of public security um, uh, as well. What, what else would you like to say about it as a, as a movement? Absolutely, yeah. I actually, um, there's a quote I found that says it better than I could and very succinctly. Um, it's from Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who is a scholar and one of the founders of Critical Resistance, which is um, my favorite organization that I know of right now and one that I've um, been supporting in many of the anti-racism shows that I've been putting on in the last year, um, anti-racism fundraising live streams. But the quote is, um, abolition is about abolishing the conditions under which prison became the solution to problems rather than abolishing the buildings we call prisons. So yeah, in other words, the way I like to say it is abolition is, um, abolition is about solving the underlying problems that are causing human instability rather than just warehousing people to kind of hide the problem. That's amazing. Um, I remember right a few years ago writing a couple of articles about um, prison labor uprisings and prison labor actions uh, in which prisoners are going on strike, not only against the conditions that they are in, but also uh, going on strike because they are essentially workers and barely paid workers. Um, and it, that it's a, you know, really a form of slavery, a form of indentured uh, work. Uh, that is, you know, this vestige of, uh, well, in some ways it's a vestige, in other ways it's a feature uh, of the current system. We can't, you know, there's many things capitalism can't do with still with without a, um, a supply of really, really cheap labor um, to, uh, to kind of fill in the gaps, uh, you know, and so, so they kind of pick on the least empowered uh, people in order to do that, to extract that value. Um, and so at the time that I was writing them, and this is when I, you know, why I say that it's the, the, the convergence of consciousness now on this is so much better. But even at that time, which is 2015, 2016, it was sort of a hard sell uh, for a broad range of the left to understand, hey, you know, these people are going on strike in prison where they have zero right to strike, where they will almost certainly be retaliated against uh, in in illegal ways, extrajudicial ways, violent ways. Um, and uh, our sole job in that, you know, as, as folks on the outside is to 
to give these demonstrations and these demonstrators unfucking conditional support uh, for everything that they are doing and getting their message out because that's what they're asking. They're asking for awareness and for signal boosting. Uh, for all of these things. And it was so important. And it felt so important to me to, uh, you know, to, to do that work and uh, also to uh, uh, contact and text with, uh, you know, um, folks who weren't allowed to text and uh, getting some information on the inside from, from uh, you know, uh, from some of those folks as well. And, uh, and, and now it's a little bit better in terms of a broader range, I think, of people understanding and beginning to embrace this, this notion that it doesn't, that the rest of our politics don't make any sense if we are not including the incarcerated in our politics. Yeah, no, I, th I think, um, and Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who I quoted, has a book called Golden Gulag, Prison Surplus Crisis and Opposition in Globalizing California, which I shamefully have not read yet. <laughs> I do plan to, but prisons are, in many ways, they're the, how do you say? They're like the end result. They're like... Mm -hmm. The logical yeah, result. The culmination of, the, of capitalist logic. The culmination sure. of the things that we're fighting against as leftists. So I have um I have another quote. I love quotes today. Okay. Uh it's by this great writer named Matt Stannard. <laughs> that I and I found it on Occupy. Yes, I read your articles. Well, actually I read one of them after the other. But I love it. the way you said this at the end of this national prison strike demands an end to slave labor. Um, injustice is inevitable and unsolvable when we can be forced to spend our life force for others' private profit or for a state that has disenfranchised us. Literal slavery inside of prisons and immigration detention centers, oppressive wa wage and consignment work outside of prisons, racism and material hierarchy form a tangled web around all of us. And this part, I think, is so beautiful. The only viable way out of that web is a position of unconditional or perhaps we should say unfucking conditional solidarity with the least powerful humans in the system. Just, yeah. Thank you. That, all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's so important. Thank you. I, I think that it's so important to, you know, uh, that that solidarity be the starting point. Um, and it's not all, I mean, I mean, and yes, we will always be uncomfortable. There's always some discomfort um, in, in that kind of outreach and that kind of listening and all of that that has to take place. But uh, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I moved on to a commune was, you know, so that I would sort of, you know, in have to uh, be, uh, um, you know, willing to, to, both receive and give of myself uh, in vulnerability um, in order to function. Um, and it sort of had this, what they call a kind of a rock polishing effect where uh, now I go into ordinary situations, a lot of political organizing situations, and suddenly I feel like I'm the most patient person in the room. Uh, and I mean, some of my comrades would, would obviously take issue with that. with that. Yeah. But, um, but it's, but, you know, or when I go into just like for normal transactions, you know, in town or whatever, you know, and, and see sort of people and what they're carrying, uh, you know, that prevent them, I think in some ways from, from that, from starting with that kind of solidarity. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so, and, and the interconnectedness of it all, I think is, is really important. Um, but uh, what else did you want to say before, uh, about that before we, uh, before we hear another song from you? Yeah, I just, uh, I totally resonate with that. And I think that's a huge, um, it's a really difficult disconnect working in left, leftist organizations because there are the two sides of we are working for and trying to fight for and build this world that's very fundamentally and ethically different than the one that we live in. And also we are individuals who are just intimately and in every way affected and programmed by our current systems. And so, you know, sometimes like the ways we have been taught to engage in the world and engage in organizations 
are harmful to what we're trying to create and are counterproductive. And yeah, it we have to work on fighting, I call it the internal oppressor as much as we fight the external one because they're mirror images of each other. I think when people see you and they see you talk about your work and they see you do your work and perform um, and you do it with such open vulnerability um, that I feel like that that is in, in invitational. And I think that that opens up. We talk about opening up all these Overton windows and, and it seems like your work um, is opening up the Overton window of vulnerability um, and that so maybe the other people can feel safe uh, in kind of engaging in that same sort of thing, even in situations or contexts where they would not be expected to. Uh, and so, so kudos to you and to a lot of other artists who are, you know, I think right now, 2021, um, coming forward and sending those those similar messages. Um, my philosophy of music is that the best music is the music that's being made right now, uh, right around us, um, not music that, you know, we're listening to on the radio that's 15 or 20 years old and pretending that that, that somehow people just stopped creating music in like 1995 it's or 1975. Yeah. yeah I um, love that. So I, so I love um, that you are continuing to put new work out and, 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 but you want us to hear this track and tell us a little bit about it before you play it. Yeah. This track is called give me that gold. It's uh, it's, it's out everywhere. Um, it has a music video with it. That was, um, was edited by John Robert Hammerer and it's a compilation of basically of protest footage from early 1900s to present day. Um, I think it's phenomenally done. It's really good. So I recommend, you know, if you resonate with this song, go check out the music video when we get off. Um, but yeah, this song is, it's a, it's a socialist pop anthem and um it's it's a song uh, for the workers, from the workers to to the owners. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that. Love it. Hannah Ruth, give me that gold. Taking all my weight and taking all my pride All day shelling out but it's nothing from inside Take all of my time and you take all of my space The day is coming soon, we gon' put you in your place Tearing down my soul, tell my brother even more You kicking people down and you making people poor Put you in your place, put you in your place, put you in your place
Yeah. That's amazing. What, what an amazing uh, track. What amazing production uh, value on that track. Really great. That's uh, Mitch Maneo. He's a, he's a great producer. Out of oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, uh, it's great. And it reminded me thematically of uh, one of the oldest known labor songs, uh, we have fed you all for a thousand years, which was actually written by an anonymous uh, worker and taken up by by IWW and ended up in the Little Red Songbook. But it's this; it has the some of that same thematic. Uh, you've done this to us. You've heard us this way. You've extracted uh, life energy from us in this way, in this way, in this way, and we have continued to to feed you and to, to um, and, uh, you know, you are getting, uh, you know, you're getting fat off of our, uh, off of our work and our bodies and our, and, and, and it's really a body and there's so much kind of body politics, politics of the body in the labor movement. And I feel like you're, uh, I feel like that song captures that. Taking all my work and taking all my pride all day shelling out and it's nothing from inside take all of my time and you take all of my space the day is coming soon we will put you in your place yeah love it love it i'm gonna that that's going up somewhere in the office here and it's wonderful um and uh um and and the sound is great uh it's just it's it's really well put together thank you so much for sharing that with us um uh before we go, I have one sort of broad question um, that I wanted to ask and just to kind of to wrap it up, which is what bands and musicians do you like? Uh, and it's not necessarily a question about your influences. Uh, it's who's who's doing the good stuff that you would like to to give a shout out to. You know, I was thinking about this and to be honest, I really need to do more research on who because I think there aren't very many really big ones but who the small musicians are who are really sharing the political message that I think is so important for today um yeah because honestly my um political understanding and then the music I listen to is on pretty different planes like musically I love Birdie she's like a favorite um I do love like Bob Dylan's songs and he has political stuff um but then on the other hand, the, you know, the, the figures who I really look up to are people like Angela Davis and Cornell West and, you know, the media of like Fred Hampton that's still around. <laughs> like, so I haven't really found a lot of those intersections of the artists who are really sharing the message that I want to hear. So my answer isn't very exciting, but that's an but invitation. I need to find those people. You're now going to get uh, just deluged um, with people's uh, suggestions and links yes, and stuff please, like that. Please, so, please, please do. Yeah. So give <laughs> Hannah, me. give Hannah your music recs. Uh, and in fact, if people want to, you know, if people do want to engage with you and, and stuff, what are some ways that uh, that they can get in touch with you? Um, uh, obviously, there's the Patreon, but uh, what what other platforms do you uh, like to hang out on? Yeah, please do reach out. I would love to get to know you, um, especially if, you know, anything we've talked about has resonated with you. would love to, to talk about it and learn about your story. Um, and I'm on Instagram a lot. It's at Hannah Ruth. Um, Instagram's a good one. You can email me all my stuff. My, the info's on my website, hannahruth.com. So yeah, just reach out, uh, join my email list and you can just reply to anything. It comes to my inbox. So would love to get to know you. Wonderful. Well, it's been, it, it has gone by way too fast. Uh, <laughs> I and I feel like we're going to have to do more uh, of this, uh, of this kind of thing. Um, uh, I would love to, you know, now that we've, now that you have, um, uh, ruptured the membrane of, uh, us doing, uh, live music performances, um, Woo! then, uh, uh, then, uh, consider that, uh, consider those floodgates opened, um, and maybe we can do more of this. Maybe we can do some some things with other musicians coming on as well. I love that. I definitely yeah. do have some friends who would fit 
well, well here. So. Absolutely. Well, they are always welcome, uh, and you are always welcome. And we also hope that you, you know, if you. Uh, can make it down. Um, we, uh, you know, we could very easily do a house show here, uh, as well as you I know, be a to. stopping point for you if you're, you know, performing in Denver or Boulder or you know, play any uh, or all points west. So, I'm really excited. Yeah, I've been I've been talking to my partner about us making a trip out that way. We're excited. Well, and it's always good to hook up with a fellow Southern Californian, even if it's by uh, adaptation uh, or, you know, even though you're an emigre, um, uh, but that's okay. Like fitting in pretty well here, yeah. to be fair. <laughs> it really, I really, I, I, uh, it's not for everybody, um, but uh, it's definitely one of my favorite places. Um, and so, yeah, I'd be happy to return the favor. Check out the, I would love to check out the Oasis um, music collective um, that you've got going, yes. whether or not you actually sing Oasis at the, uh, at the collective. Um, yeah, I'm and torn. I'm like, it would be funny, but maybe too maybe too kitschy i'm not sure it just it, it yeah, that's true kitschy is okay though um but one of the things that it reminds me of is a wonderful story about adaptation and about growth and evolution which is that um ryan adams the old country singer who uh was associated you know, um, was associated with what whiskey town i think um so when he would play his name's ryan adams and so people would drunkenly request songs by brian adams uh, and they would be like, play summer of 69, dude. Um, and he would get initially this as the story goes. And Ryan, if you're if you're watching this, please don't be mad if I'm getting it wrong. But uh, uh, initially, his response was, you know, like, fuck you, you know, do, you, you need to respect me as an artist. OK, I'm not Brian Adams, obviously. Uh, and so. Um, uh, and so that was sort of his initial response. But then I heard that lately, like more recently, he'll come out and play Cuts Like a Knife or Summer of 69, you know, to cover it in his own unique Ryan Adams way. And just, to, and, and, you know, at that point, you're just embracing it. You're embracing and, and you're preempting. Um, you know, it's like the Grateful Dead just allowing everyone to tape their shows uh, as a response to people bootlegging their shows. And it's just like, no, everybody can. And so you just jump right into it. And you are so much about just jumping right into things. And and uh, I can't thank you enough for for jumping into uh, uh, to our place uh, for uh, a little over an hour and, and sharing so much of yourself. It's been delightful. Thank you for making me feel so comfortable here. We're Solidarity House Cooperative. This has been the Solidarity House live stream. You can, uh, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Solidarity House. We've got two new episodes that are going to be dropping in the next 24 hours of our podcast. And then at some point, we'll have a podcast of this live stream as well. Uh, we've also got some antics coming up Sunday involving garden gnomes and a Trump game and possible fire. Uh, and so we'll keep you posted about that too. Uh, Hannah Ruth, uh, I can't thank you enough uh, for coming on. Uh, it's a, a, a real uh, privilege uh, to, uh, to boost your work. Thank you, comrade. All right. Take Lots care. Lots of love. Bye.